um, uh, first, yes, first Kings chapter 10, first Kings chapter 10. All right. We are continuing a study of first Kings. If you need a copy of the handouts, just raise a hand. Chris Lisa will get one to you, but we're in first Kings chapter 10 and we're looking at some of the Bible pictures and, uh, some of the Bible pictures and some of the, um, important truths that we see in this chapter. 1 Kings 10 is where we left it last week. We're going to pick it up in 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings 10, the thought... Is this coming through at all? Am I coming through? It doesn't feel like anything's coming through. Yeah, nothing's coming through here. Did I hit something? No. I am? There it is. Oh, there it is. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 10 is... I'm going to just write this here. Chapter 10 is the great contrast. We see really a great contrast show up between where Solomon was and where Solomon ends up. Now, if I'm not going to read it all, but in verses 1 to 13 of chapter 10, we have this beautiful picture of the Queen of Sheba visiting King Solomon. It's an, it's an amazing moment when the Queen of Sheba visits King Solomon. Uh, and if you read verse 1 with me, the Bible says, And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And this is a great picture because Sheba visiting Solomon is a picture of Jesus Christ reigning in the millennium when all these Gentiles are flowing into Jerusalem to see the king. And so when you read through your Bible and you see about like in the Song of Solomon when it talks about the queens around the bride, the queens, the queens, the queens surrounding the bride, those queens are a picture and point to millennial Gentiles. Millennial Gentiles. So when you read and you see queens in the Bible, especially the queens in Psalm 45, Song of Solomon 6, and they're surrounding the bride, those queens point to millennial Gentiles, these people that are going to come. Can you picture it? And just see Jesus Christ and want to visit Jesus Christ. Now look at verse number 2. Look what happens. Thank you, Josh. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. Right? That wasn't Amtrak, but that was all the people that came in behind her, right? with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, look what she did. She communed with her, with him, of all that was in her heart. She comes and she communes with Solomon. You know what that communion reminds me of? Doesn't that remind you of prayer? When you come before the throne and you commune with God, prayer is not all just dropping a laundry list at God's feet and just saying, I'm going to go get a burger, God. I'll, I'll, I'll come back when you're done. No, it's a communion, right? It's you talking and listening and exchanging with God. Well, do you remember what the prophecy says is going to happen in the millennium? In Isaiah chapter 56, verse number seven says, Mine house shall be called the house of prayer For all people, even the ones down in Sheba, all these Gentiles are going to flow into the house and commune with Jesus Christ. They're going to talk and they're going to listen. And when Jesus Christ showed up on the scene in Mark chapter 11, he said, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. I know people sometimes name a church house of prayer. That's nice. But one day there's literally going to be a house of prayer in Jerusalem when all these nations are going to be flowing onto it and just seeing the king. And Sheba is a great picture of that. And let's look at some of the stuff she sees. Verse 4. And when the queen of Sheba had seen, because you know in the millennium it's about sight, right? There's no faith in the millennium. It's sight. You're going to see like you saw in the garden, like Adam saw God and Jesus Christ with his eyeballs. He saw the word with his eyeballs. There was no faith in the garden of Eden. It was sight. But guess what? In the millennium, it's sight again. You're going to trade your faith for sight and you're going to go and see Jesus Christ and see his power. And it says, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. In other words, it was breathtaking. I mean, you just, you ever see that, you know, what is it, uh, Beauty and the Beast? And they had that little Be Our Guest. 
be our guest. I'm about to do a French accent, but you know, and it's like this breathtaking event. You know, you think about a wedding, you think about like a ball, you think about these scenes where people are just dressed to the nines and they're coming in, and sometimes you see this royal wedding, right? So the many people watched the royal wedding of Princess Di many years ago, and it's just it's just breathtaking to see this. That's not going to hold a candle to what this is going to look like. Literally takes her breath away. And it says, and she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Now watch this. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. You know what she saw? She saw the joy. Because what does the Bible say? In thy presence is fullness of joy. And these people that are ministering before Solomon, and even the cupbearers are happy. They got a little spry in their step, and they got a whistle while they work. You know why? Because when you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, if you're changing a garbage can, you could do it with a smile on your face. If you're washing a toilet, you could do it with a smile on your face. If you're walking in communion with Jesus Christ down here, you could do it with a smile. Wait till you're seeing him eyeball to eyeball, and you could look upon him. Oh, those people are happy and joyful and praising the Lord. And then look what she says in verse 9. In verse 9, she acknowledges the source of all these blessings. Blessed be the Lord thy God. (laughs) There's the source. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he the king to do judgment and justice. She acknowledges that it's God. Hey, Solomon, you know why you got that throne? God. You know why everybody's so blessed? God. Hey, church, you know why you got some measure of victory today? God. You know why anything is good about you that could be said is good about you? God. That's what you got to acknowledge. She acknowledged it. Hey, all the blessings, Solomon, God. And we should, that's why I want to have that time on Thanksgiving Fellowship. More of us need to grab that microphone and just maybe take a moment and praise God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because every good thing I got, every good thing you got is because God delighted in you to show you some favor. That's what she saw. Now look at verse number four. Now, isn't that good? Those first 13 verses, isn't that good? Amen? Amen. What a scene, what a blessing. And on verse number 14, the whole chapter turns in verse number 14. This is why we're calling this the great contrast. Because it all turns on 14. And look what shows up in verse verse 14. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600 three score and six talents of gold. Uh-oh. <laughs> the Solomon gets 666 talents of gold in one year. Six, six, six. If you know anything about, if you don't even know anything about the Bible, you know that's a bad number, yep. right? Only a dingbat would say 666 is a cool number. I remember teaching at Brooklyn Tech on June 6, 2006. And I remember the students all running around, 666, 666. If you knew what 666 was, you wouldn't say it like such a knucklehead, right? You know the number 666 appears three times in your Bible. Pretty, pretty interesting, actually. Three times. First time is right here, right? The talents of gold. Right there in uh, 1 Kings uh, uh, 10, 14. Second time, I'm not going to flip there, is in Ezra... 2.13. It's the children of Adonikam. Adonikam means whom the Lord set up. And some people translate it to mean the Lord of Rebellion. Very interesting. I like that second one. I can't verify it, but maybe Eli can get, maybe get your dictionary. But I saw a bunch of people said, whom the Lord sets up. The children of the Lord of Rebellion. So you got 616 666 count talents of gold, 666 people associated with the Lord of Rebellion, whom the Lord sets up. And the last one, I think we all know, is in Revelation chapter 13, verse number 18. It's the number of the Antichrist. So, wow, 666 is a very, very bad number. 
Amen? Uh, and even look at the chapter. Can you look at chapter right there that you're looking at? The chapter has 666 even in it. Look at it, ready? Look at verse number 16. 600 shekels of gold. Look at verse number 19. Six steps. Look at verse number 20. Six steps. Six, six, six. You say you're stretching that, Pat? Is it coincidence? I don't know. There's no coincidences in the Bible. It's very interesting that in the second half of the chapter where Solomon's world changes around the number 666, you get 606 and 6. Show up in the next few verses. Very interesting, if you ask me. I'm sure the Bible was just written by some dumb shepherds in the Middle East somewhere. But I want you to notice that the whole book about Solomon, the whole narrative of Solomon, turns on 666. And I want you to notice it's 666 talents of gold. Go to Revelation chapter 18. You know, gold is a big deal to the Antichrist. I wonder why it's such a big deal down here, gold. Maybe because the God of this world says it's a big deal. Revelation chapter 18, I just want to show you this. Revelation, 8, Revelation 18 is the, uh, we're seeing the Antichrist city here, and we're seeing his commerce in Babylon here. I want to show you that the first thing that the devil deals in is gold. It's at the top of his shopping list. It's at the top of his e-commerce list. Revelation 18, 11, he's speaking about the great city Babylon in verse 10, and he says, here's what they dealt with in that city. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold, that's first, and silver and precious stones. Ain't that interesting? Isn't that what you get at the judgment seat of Christ? Gold and silver and precious stones. I think the devil's after your reward. That's just me, but that's another message. Keep going. And of pearls and linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thion wood and all manner uh, vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. The devil's got gold at the top of his shopping list. And at the bottom, the souls of men. Because that's not important to him. Your soul is not the most important thing to that antichrist spirit. You know what's important to God? You know what's at the top of God's shopping list? The souls of men. You know what he does with gold? He paves the streets with gold. You see how what a flip it is, how different it is, right? The devil has gold at the beginning and the souls of men at the end. And God says, souls of men should be on your mind. That should be first. You go walking through the store, and now you got to get what you got to get. I'm the same way. You got to get what you got to get. I got to get my butter. I got to get my bread. I got to get my milk. Oh, the rain is coming. The snow is coming. I got to get the milk and bread. I got to get my toys. I got to get my stuff. I got to get my Christmas gifts. And we don't think about all the souls of men that are all around us. Whose spirit are we of when we do that, right? When we're going after our gold and our silver and our precious stones. And the souls of men, that's an afterthought. People getting saved, that's, that's, that's something for later. But we should put them at the front of the list. And Solomon is a, such an interesting character. And I started our study on 1 Kings by saying that Solomon is the only character in the Bible who is a type of Christ and Antichrist. Because they're so close. I'm going to give you, go to 2 Corinthians 11. I'll just show you a verse here. And I'm going to give you a list of some stuff that you can jot down or, or just listen to attentively and memorize on your eyelids. And uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 14, is, uh, is a great verse. And we learn something from the fact that Solomon and Christians, God love you, sometimes we're the dumbest people on the face of the earth. Because God shows you all the devil's cards. He shows you the hands he's going to play. And Solomon being a type of Christ and Antichrist is God screaming across the pages of your Bible that the devil, the way he rolls, he is the great imitator. So close to the real thing that if you weren't saturated with the word of God, you'd be fooled. And in 2 Corinthians 11:14, God tells you, and no marvel, meaning like, duh, like, hello McFly, and no marvel, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He's saying, you're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. You're supposed to know his modus operandi. You're supposed to understand and be able to trace the trail of the serpent. 
You want to see some areas? Here's some areas. I just made a little list here. I saw some stuff. Um, and I just want to give you this little list of some similarities between Christ and Antichrist. Here's one. They both show up riding a white horse. You know, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, there is a white horse rider who is a picture of the Antichrist who goes forth conquering without arrows in the name of peace. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, who shows up? Jesus Christ on a white horse, conquering with a sword. They're both riding a white horse. That's number one. How about number two? They're both called the king. Job chapter 41 calls the devil Leviathan the king over all the children of pride. You say, why does everybody do the same thing? Because they're all following the beat of the same drummer. They're all following their king. And what does the Bible call Jesus Christ? King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19. Number three, they both have a city that's connected to their bride. They both have a city connected to their bride. The devil has Babylon. Jesus Christ has New Jerusalem. That's where his bride lives. Babylon is where his bride lives. Okay? They're both called a prince. What's that? One, number four? One, two, three, four. Four, a prince. Ephesians 2, 2. The devil is called a prince of the power of the air. Right? He's the prince of the power of the air. Why is it that YouTube does not have Bible preaching on their most popular lists? Why is it that the evening news does not talk about the person who got saved last Sunday, John Carlo? Why does uh, all the media and the TikToks that go on in the world, why do so few of them have anything to do with the Bible, Jesus Christ, holiness? Why is it some skank shaking her moneymaker half the time to get views and likes and hits? Why is it that most of the time? Why? Because the prince of the power of the air the one that's sending all this stuff around is the devil himself. And media is always pulling us tend to be away from God. Very little media pulls us towards God, right? Now, I know you could sanctify it and use it like we're on YouTube right now, but left to itself, there's a prince over the power of the air. You go preach, go street preaching with us one time and open your mouth or watch somebody else open your mouth and you'll feel the air get tense, Go to the job tomorrow and walk into the break room and say, I just want to bless the Lord Jesus Christ for giving me another day today. Watch the whole room go record skip, and everybody looks at you like, what the? You know, trust me, you, you'll feel it. The air gets tense, it gets thick, because there's some principalities and powers in that air that have a prince over them that doesn't want that name spoken, doesn't want that word declared. Oh boy, I'm going to get, get moving here. Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Very different prince. What am I up to? Five? Five? The devil's called God. A God, 2 Corinthians 4 4. The God of this world, small g. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, God, capital G, bought us with his own blood. The big one, the, the real God, right? The true God. How about number six I'm up to, right? How about light? You see verse number 14 right there? Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, an appearance of light. He looks like light. And when Eve was snooping around that tree, man, the serpent was not crawling on the floor and slithering. He must have looked like Jesus Christ himself as an angel of light, as an appearance of light himself. But in John chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus Christ is called the true light, capital L. See the difference? Always an imitator. And the last one, 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil is said to be as a roaring lion, right? He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus Christ is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil is as a roaring lion. He simulates a roaring lion, but Jesus Christ is a roaring lion. And read the book of Joel, read the Bible. You're going to see one day very soon that lion named Jesus Christ is going to roar and some stuff is going to happen. Amen. Amen. Go to Job 41. Two of the greatest chapters on the devil 
are Job 40 and 41. Job 40 is about Behemoth, a picture of the Antichrist, the beast, and Job 41 is about Leviathan, uh, 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 all about the devil himself. And in Job 41, God makes this statement, in case you missed it. Job 41, look at verse 12. Uh, Verse 13, start with verse 13. Look at the question God asked Job. He's talking about Leviathan. And he says, who can discover the face of his garment? He's saying, who's going to know the costumes this this devil puts on? Who's going to be able to see the disguises this Leviathan adopts? Who's going to be able to see the face of the garment that this devil wears? You say, how do I want to find out what he looks like? Verse 12, God said, I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. God says, I'm going to shine the light on that serpent in the pages of my holy word. And that's why the devil hates the Bible, because this book reveals the serpent's movements. You and I can figure out, maybe not everything he's doing, but when something happens, we can say, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, United Nations. I haven't read about the United Nations in the Bible. They didn't seem to be doing anything God approved of. I wonder if the United Nations is something God approves of now. Community strike, I'm sure. But guess what? The Bible is that light that God is shining on how the serpent is moving. So you and I don't get suckered. You and I don't get taken in. That is the great contrast. Now, chapter 11, go back to 1 Kings. I'm only going to get through a few chapters here today. I can clearly see that. Chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a sad, sad chapter. Very sad chapter. 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11. Chapter 11 is Solomon's heart turns from God. Ah, yes. Very sad, very sad. Let's look at it. You see what chapter it happens in? Chapter 11. You know what 11 is? 11 is the number of destruction in your Bible. Bad, bad thing. Let's look at verse number 1. See that right there? But, interesting, it starts with but. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. My, my, my. If you read chapter 10 and read from verses 24 to 29. You could read it even while I'm talking. You know what you see in verses 24 to 29 of chapter 10? You see God blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing and increasing and multiplying and just overabundant. Solomon had everything. And the verse 11 starts with, but, man, if that is not a picture of us. God's given you blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. He's washed you in his blood. He seals you forever. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's, you know, he's, he loved you, uh, from, you know, with an everlasting love. He's the first and the last. He loves you unto the end. I mean, he's got a home for you in heaven. His name's written in the book of life. He gives you victory to tread on serpents. He's given you victory in prayer. He's given you access to, the Holy, to God by the Holy Spirit unto the Father. He's given you a home in heaven. He's delivered you from hell. He's given you a purpose in life. He's given you a church family. He's given you a Bible. He's preserved it for you. We can go on and on and on and on. But you know what rises up in your dirty, rotten mind? But! (laughs) My dirty, rotten mind, too. But! (laughs) But I want this. And I want that. It's like Adam and Eve, right? You got all these trees, but... (laughs) That's how we are. That's the, that's the wicked testimony of man. And Solomon is literally the king of all the earth. He is literally the greatest man on planet earth. He has got more than heart could wish. Anything he wants. Man, bake ZD on tap, like I said last week. Whatever you want, Solomon. What do you want, Solomon? Women, wine, and song could have all been his, right? It was all his. Good, bad, and ugly. It was all his. You know what? But he wanted something that God didn't want him to have. And uh, look at verse number two. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely, sounds like Genesis chapter two, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. What is going on here, folks? I mean, Solomon, God had warned him clearly Watch out for, beware of, the strange woman. 
That's not the lady with the mustache or the lady with the three heads that you see at the circus. That's the woman that's not a child of Israel, not of your people. And it's interesting. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 2. You know, Solomon, ironically, is the guy that wrote some of the sternest warnings about you staying away from the strange woman. And he's the one that gets seduced and gives his heart to the strange woman. What is wrong with us? We're all the same way. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 2. You want to see some things here about this strange woman? She's really strange. She's real. Proverbs chapter 2. Let me tell you some things she's going to steal from you that Solomon wrote down for his own son and certainly didn't practice what he preached. That strange woman, that strange woman in the Bible, if in the Bible the Holy Spirit is sometimes typified as a woman who guides the house, then the strange woman is a seducing spirit that you should not be messing with. A spirit that is out there, a false spirit, a spirit that you should not be familiar with, that should be a strange spirit, a foreign spirit to you, that you shouldn't be cleaving to, and that spirit is out there in the world. It'll be running the show during the Great Tribulation, but she's out there right now trying to seduce God's children, seduce the king's sons, and look at some of these warnings at some of the things you could lose if you cozy up and let yourself be seduced by that false spirit of Antichrist. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16. It says that God wants, He gives you wisdom in the first part of the chapter, and He says that wisdom in verse 16 is to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. You know that false spirit? Watch this. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit-led preaching? It's negative. It comes in hard sometimes, it comes in straight, and it's faithful the wounds of a friend, right? The Holy Spirit's that good friend to you. He comes in, he sometimes breaks your heart, reproves you, rebukes you, exhorts you. And when Israel was in apostasy, you know what they said? Oh, prophesy not uh, not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, right? Because the false spirit flatters you. You're okay. Pat doesn't know what he's talking about. That doesn't apply to you. You're going to make it. You're going to be the exception. You're different. You got this. Positive vibes only and all that other gas. That's the false spirit. The Holy Spirit says, you're going to die. You're going to lose something. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to bust your head, son. You better turn around and the bridge is out. That's the Holy Spirit. You see the difference in the spirits? Can you try the spirits and see whether they have God? You say, how? God gives you negative truth to keep you from danger. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you right? The devil deceives you. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's how he rolls. Look, keep reading. Verse 17, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God for her house. Ooh, this spirit has a house. She's got her own church. I won't go there yet. For her house inclineth unto death. It's going to kill you. And her paths unto the dead. She's going to take you into the abode of the dead. None that go unto her return again. Neither take they hold of the paths of life. You know what the first thing you lose if you follow this wrong woman? She's going to steal your way. She's going to steal those paths. She's going to keep you from the right way. Go to chapter 5. Go to Proverbs chapter 5. Let me show you something else about this seducing spirit. She'll steal from you your way. She'll keep you from the right paths. Don't go to church. Don't go to church. Don't listen to preaching. Don't read your Bible. You're okay. Everything's going to be okay. Hey! Right? And Proverbs chapter 5, verse number 3, there he is again. He says in Proverbs 5, 3, for the lips of a strange woman. Some things in the Bible are hard to be understood. But some things, God takes a sledgehammer out and bops you over the head over and over again just to prove to you that you got a head like a rock, right? And these are one of those moments where God's like, there is nothing good about what you're about to do by mixing up with that wrong spirit and that wrong person. Proverbs 5.3, the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. Slick, man, subtle. Look what she's going to do in verse number 8. Remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her. She's got a house again. She's got a house. Mm -mm -mm. Lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth 
and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. You know what she'll steal second? She'll steal your treasure. She'll take your wealth. She'll take your riches. She'll take your labor. All the things you've been working for, she'll steal it. You'll get to that judgment seat of Christ and it'll be gone. You're wasted. Your labors were in the house of a stranger. You were working for the enemy the whole time instead of working for the Savior. She'll steal your labor. She'll steal your energy. She'll steal your talents. Instead of me playing the guitar for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're jamming out playing some Megadeth garbage that's out of the pit of hell. Right? That's, that's, God ste- that's the devil stealing your talent, stealing your ability. You got a beautiful voice? Don't go sing it in the club. Go sing at church. Sing a beautiful song at church for the Lord Jesus. Right? He gave you these things. Why? So you can bless them. So you can praise them. Not so you could gobble them up and serve the strange woman. She says she'll steal your treasure, steal your labor. And then the last one, this is okay, right? Okay, you still okay? Proverbs 7, this is not in the notes. Proverbs 7, verse 21, 721. You know what else she'll steal? Here's the last one, 721. Talking about this woman again, catching a king's son. And it says, man, here it is again, with her much fair speech, smoother than oil, flattery. Right, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield because if you're a king's son, she doesn't have any power over you. You've got to yield that power to her. He yields to her, and look what happens. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her. Now, now he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver Right? That's the part of you that filters out the toxins. She's going to nail that part, and you're not going to be able to tell what's right or wrong, what's good or bad, what's clean or dirty anymore. She'll strike right through that, and you won't even know which way is up after you've tangled with her. Till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. She'll steal your life. She will take your spiritual life away. And if you're not careful, she'll take your physical life away. And in the Great Tribulation, guess what? In the Great Tribulation, doctrinally, you will perish if you follow that seducing spirit of Jezebel that's running the world in the Great Tribulation. But thankfully, you're not going to perish if you're saved. But in the church age, your walk with God can sure perish. It can sure perish and wilter if you follow that spirit and follow the wrong spirit. And look at it. Go back to 1 Kings. Let me show you what happens. You say, man, Solomon wrote that? Yes, Solomon wrote that. Solomon wrote that to his son. And then go back to 1 Kings 11 and look what Solomon does in verse 3. You go after the wrong girl, you start going after the wrong gods. You go after the wrong girl or guy, but Solomon's going after girls, so I'll say girl. You go after the wrong girl, in this case that strange woman, you're going to end up going after the wrong gods. And in 1 Kings eleven three, 3, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. I don't know how he kept all the anniversaries straight. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Now look what happens in verse 11. In verse 11, God takes the kingdom from Solomon, all his his descendants. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son, for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. God takes the kingdom from Solomon. You know what? You know what that's a picture of? You will lose your crown. You will lose your crown, saint. And you could, I know people have heard me preach about the judgment seat of Christ and laughed about it. They've laughed about it. And that's okay. Payday's going to come someday. You could think it's not in the Bible, but it's in the Bible. And I'm warning you, if you're going to live like a pig, you're going to stand at that judgment seat of Christ and you're going to lose your crown. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. Some men's sins are open beforehand going forth to judgment and some men they follow after. 
Sometimes you don't get the recompense in this life, but guess what, baby? You ain't getting past the judgment seat of Christ, living like you've been living, and not getting Jesus Christ to say, remember all that stuff you wasted? It's going to be payday someday. And that, you say, Pat, that's strong. I know. I don't want any of you to pay that price. I want you to get that full reward. That's why I emphatically love you and tell you the things that are sometimes hard to hear. I admit it. I don't want to hear it. But now in chapters 12 and 13, if you want another heading, we'll jump to 12 and 13 before I get another community strike. Uh, chapter 12 and 13, the kingdom splits. Okay? I'm going to erase this. I hope I can erase it. If not... See Kim Cologne. All right. All right. The stenographer. Uh, we're going to have uh, chapters 12 and 13. The kingdom splits. And let's talk about that split kingdom. From here on in, for the rest of your Bible, the nation of Israel is no longer a single unified country. You understand that? They are no longer a single unified country. We're going to have the southern kingdom of Judah. It's called Judah. And the northern kingdom uh, called Israel now. Israel proper. Sometimes called Ephraim. The southern kingdom of Judah is going to have two tribes with a capital at Jerusalem. Uh, and the northern kingdom is going to have ten tribes with an eventual, ca eventual capital at Samaria. Your first king of Judah is going to be Rehoboam. And your first king of the, southern, of the northern kingdom is going to be Jeroboam. Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Let's look at, uh, let's look at, uh, look at verse 43. Chapter 11, verse 43. Um, see 43. And Solomon slept in his, with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father... And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. So Judah was governed by Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son. You know what Solomon's son was? He was a fool. Solomon even called him a fool. See, why was he such a fool? 1 Kings 12.8, you don't have to turn there. You know what he did in 1 Kings 12.8? He forsook the old paths. He forsook the counsel of the old men and listened to his buddies. He was a fool. Anybody that forsakes the old paths is a fool. The old-time religion of prayer and repentance and, and, and weeping over the Bible and holiness and righteousness and all that stuff that should make your teeth chatter. That's the old paths, the old council, this old black book that we hold in our hands. Well, if you forsake this, you're a fool. And the northern kingdom, if you look at 1128, is governed by Jeroboam. Jeroboam was one of Solomon's mighty men. He was a very industrious guy. You know what Jeroboam does? Jeroboam in verses 26 to 33, he is a rebel. So we could say this guy is a fool. And this guy's a rebel. He's not much better. And he actually sets up a counterfeit system of religion. A counterfeit system of worship based on convenience, not scripture. Very interesting. So from now on, this split right now, if you want to remember the timeline, remember the calling out of the nation, the formulation of the nation, the establishment of the nation under David and then Solomon, and now we're getting the demise of the nation. From this point on, we're beginning the demise leading to the eventual destruction of the nation of Israel. And from now on, there will be two lines of kings. In the southern kingdom, we will have 19 kings and one, ki and one queen. Most of these kings are bad. There's a few good ones. Uh, Asa, Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, Josiah. There's a few good ones, mostly bad ones, but a few good ones. And one queen, Athalia, who is hell on wheels, right? Then you got the northern, the northern kingdom. They're going to have 19 kings. They're all bad. Guys like Ahab and, and others, right? They're all bad. They're all bad. Everybody in the north is bad. The north goes into apostasy sooner than that. So, chapter, so now watch what happens now. The rest of the book, from chapters 14 to 22, the rest of the book of 1 Kings is the demise and the destruction of the greatest nation the world has ever seen. I like America, but America couldn't hold a candle to Israel in the David and Solomon's day. 
especially on the Solomon's day. They, that was, he was the king. His, his kingdom was worldwide. And uh, what's a takeaway? You want some takeaways from this? Here's a takeaway. This one is so profound. You're going to be like, Pat, I never would have thought of that after reading the Bible. You know what the takeaway is? Sin destroys everything it touches. That's profound, isn't it? That's original. I got that from somebody else. Probably the other 500 messages I listened to. Sin destroys everything it touches. And then when it destroys what you let it touch, you're like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Because sin destroys everything it touches. Your life, your joy, your peace, your marriage, your family, your friends, your health, your everything, your church, it destroys everything it touches. Go to Nehemiah. Solomon probably thought he was the exception. I mean, I'm Solomon. I got a promise from God. I'm, I'm David's son. God's promised me a throne. I'm a big dog. She was coming to roll with me. I'm talking. I mean, I'm, he's a big dog. He must have thought, wow, I've arrived. No, man, sin destroys everything it touches. Nehemiah chapter 13 is post-exile now. We're after the exile, and Nehemiah is trying to, you know, along with some other people, trying to rebuild Jerusalem and get the nation reestablished, get the temple built again, get the nation kind of put back on the map, even though we're feeble and small and weak. But in Nehemiah chapter 13, they're starting to do the same stupid stuff that Solomon did. They're starting to marry strange women again. They're starting to roll with women outside of Israel again. And Nehemiah shows up, and he's ready to rip their hair out, literally. He's ready to just rip their hair out. And in Nehemiah, I'm so excited, I can't even flip pages. Nehemiah chapter 13, look at verse number 21, 23, Nehemiah 13, 23. In those days, last chapter of Nehemiah, in those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. Those are some of the same people that Solomon was marrying. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. They don't even know the language of God anymore. That's like some Christians. You've been joining yourself to the world. You don't know the verbiage anymore. You don't know the language that God gave you anymore. And I contended with them and cursed them. You thought I could be an angry preacher. And smote certain of them. I never hit anybody. And plucked off their hair. Imagine if I got so mad, I started ripping your hair out. That's what he's doing. He's right always pulling their hair off the head. He's grabbing them like an Italian grandmother saying, get over here, and just pulling their hair right out. Right? And made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their wives unto your sons or for your daughters. Watch verse 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him, did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? Solomon thought he would be the exception. Solomon was not the exception. And if you're crazy enough to think you're a better man than Solomon and you're going to be the exception, whatever you're smoking, share it. Because you're in such a delusion, we all got to take a puff. Because that is some strong delusion that you got. The wages of sin is death. There's no exceptions to that rule, right? And think about this. I was thinking about this to stay. I, I was, I was, it was 5 a.m., so I had nothing to do but to think. But think about this. I'm thinking about this kid, Michael, yesterday. I'm thinking about, you know, yesterday in school, kids came in late because somebody got pushed on the R train and died. Uh, I think died, but somebody got pushed in, on, in uh, 86th Street, right over there, the art train line. Somebody got pushed. And kids, I have a lot of kids that come from Brooklyn, and I got kids sitting there all spooked second period going, my sister was there, and a few weeks ago there was a shooting at 36th Street on the end line, and my sister was there, blah, 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 blah. And, I'm, and this kid goes, I'm really stressed about this, Mr. M. And I, all I could do is look at him and said, um, I'm sorry you're growing up in a world like this, man. That's what I said. That's all I could say. I couldn't preach to them. And this other kid goes, Mr. Mashani, I heard you were a pastor. Very strange moment. It was very, do you think the Bible prophecies are coming true? I was like, yes. Why wouldn't I think they're coming true? And I went back to semicolons and commas. But you know what? I'm thinking about all that stuff today, and the world is just ravaged because of sin has just been unleashed. And the wages of sin is death. 
And it just broke my heart to think about a young boy dying of cancer and like students that are 14 years old and they should just be skipping on their way to school, like, like copying homework off their friends and doing all that stuff, right? They shouldn't be worrying about, am I going to get shot on the platform? Am I going to get pushed off on the platform? And I'm thinking about all this and I'm thinking, my goodness, the sin that was unleashed, all this death started in a garden where it should have been about life. You realize that sin started in a garden. A garden is supposed to be a bed of life. And all this stuff was supposed to be about life. And God wanted to bring life. And our sin has just destroyed everything. And so what does the Bible say we're supposed to do? Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what the devil wants to do? You know what our sin wants to make happen to this church? Split it. Divide it tear it apart. And we're supposed to work hard endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Like sin divided Israel, your sin will destroy the, destroy the unity that God wants in this church. God wants unity. He says, I want you to be one mind and one mouth in the Lord. Not that we all have to think the same or like basketball or football. Some of you can like football. It's okay, right? Or like basketball. It's okay, right? But we're supposed to have one mind and one mouth in the Lord, Right? About the things of God. We're supposed to be thinking God's thoughts after Him and doing what He's saying. But if you don't take heed to God's warning, you're going down. That's the second takeaway. You think Solomon didn't know? You think Solomon did? Solomon wrote the warnings himself, but he didn't take heed to the warnings. And if you don't take heed to the warnings, you are going down. Now, I'm going to get up on a, a, a tiny soapbox right now. The preacher gets up. And he gets accused of being divisive when he preaches against sin, right? Oh, that was divisive. You're being divisive. That's divisive. No, I'm not being divisive. I'm trying to drive back the cancer that's trying to divide this place. That's what the preaching of the Word of God is supposed to do. Try to hold back the staves of sin that are trying to get in here and just split and divide and schism the whole body. Go to chapter 14 of 1 Kings now. Let me hurry through this one. I got two quick points. I'll hurry, hurry, hurry. 1 Kings chapter 14. This one, definite community strike. I'm just ready. I'm waiting for it. 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14. I'll see how long this goes. I'll either stop here or I'll try to squeeze one more in. 1 Kings 14. Here's the title. I'm not even going to write on the board. I want to waste time erasing. Enter the Sodomites. Enter the Sodomites. 1 Kings chapter 14. Good thing nobody knows the English language anymore. They don't even know what that word means. 1 Kings 14. Let's look at verse 20, 14, 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and one years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high till and under every green tree. And watch it now. And there were also Sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Please notice, please notice that when Israel, and not until Israel, goes into apostasy, the word Sodomites appears for the first time. Sodomites are derived from Sodom and Gomorrah. They were sexual perverts, see Genesis 19.5. And he says at the end of the chapter there, he says at the end of the chapter there, they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord God cast out before the children of Israel. Can you go to Leviticus 18? He's saying these people are doing just like the people that I cast out of Canaan. In other words, the Canaanites, go to Leviticus 18, the Canaanites, or I should say the Sodomites, are doing as the Canaanites did, whom God cast out of the land many years prior. Leviticus 18, let me show you what they did. I'm not going to read any details. Don't get nervous. I know how to be tactful. Leviticus 18, Leviticus 18. I'm not going to read Leviticus 18. I don't even like reading it when I get to reading it in my Bible reading. I don't even like it. It's full of all that kind of sin and perversion and deviance. You know what God says at the end of it in Leviticus 18, 24? You know what the conclusion he says about all those things is? Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. 
I know those sodomites were about sexual deviants because he says, I had a cast, I, they're just like the people I cast out. You know what the people in Leviticus 18 were? They were deviants. They were perverts. They were monsters. They were pigs. They were stuff that you can't even repeat out loud. Look at chapter 20 of Leviticus. Leviticus 20, verse 22. Leviticus 20, verse 22. Hurry with me now. Leviticus 20, verse 22 is also talking about some pretty wicked stuff. You just have to look a few verses above where I'm having you read, and you'll catch a glimpse at some of this perversion. In 22, he says, Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments, and do them, that the land whither I bring you to dwell therein spew you not out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. God says, they made me sick. Go to Romans chapter 1. Last one. You say, why? You know, I had a kid ask me one time, why do Christians get so riled up about that particular sin? Look, lying will keep you out of hell just as fast as that sin will keep you. I mean, lying will send you to hell just like that sin will send you to hell. But here's why I told, here's what I told that person, why we get so alarmed by that sin, because the rise of the sodomites is a litmus test of a people gone into apostasy. When you get so far from God and truth that those boys begin to rise, that is a litmus test that you are so far from God that you're calling evil good and good evil. Romans chapter 1 is a show of that. Romans chapter 1 proves us that in the New Testament, after the loving Jesus died on the cross, he said this in Romans 1 verse 21. The Bible says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They were atheists and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. There's your evolution, or rather your de-evolution, going backwards. Wherefore, because of this, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was meat. That sin is the symptom of a people who've turned away from God. When Israel slid into apostasy, the Sodomites were in the land. When the church of Jesus Christ has gone into apostasy, guess what? The Sodomites are very much in the land. And I know this makes you uncomfortable, but it has to be said because it's Bible. Brethren, there was a time when sodomy was a crime that was prosecuted. Now it is conduct that is celebrated. Listen to this. This came out just a couple of days ago. This is a Roman Catholic bishop. I've never, I think, quoted a Roman Catholic priest in a sermon, but this guy said some good stuff. Think about how far we are that this guy in Ireland, a Roman Catholic priest, stood up and was preaching about some things, and a bishop in southern England had to apologize for this pre-sermon that slammed, quote, the rampant legislation of sin, end quote, as seen in the government's port positions on abortion, transgenderism, and homosexuality. And I quote, this is what this Roman Catholic priest is saying. You could close your eyes and you wouldn't get this strong preaching in most evangelical churches today. They'd be too scared. What is so, I'm not going to try an Irish accent either. What is so sad today is you rarely hear about sin, but it's rampant. It's rampant. We see it, for example, in the legislation of our governments. We see it in the promotion of abortion. We see it in the example of this lunatic approach of transgenderism. We see it, for example, in the promotion of sex between two men and two women. That is sinful. That is mortal sin. And people don't seem to realize it, but it's a fact. It's a reality. We need to listen to God about it. Because if we don't, there's no hope for those people. 
you have a responsibility to call people to an awareness of the fact that sin is destructive, sin is detrimental, and sin will lead us to hell. Good preaching, Padre. And he says, I'm going to skip some of this. He's going to say, and so today God says to us, I have come to call sinners. But if you don't admit you're a sinner, then you're not listening to my call and I can't do anything for you because it's a two-way street. Now, there are people who don't like to hear what I'm saying, but the day you die, you will find out what I'm saying is not what I invented. It's not what I came up with, but what God is saying. The day you will die, you will find out it is the truth. Our prayer for people is that it won't be too late for them. But how will people know that God wants to forgive them if we don't tell them? How will people who are lost be found if we as God's people don't call them and say, look, God loves you. He has come to call sinners, but He wants you to have life and have it to the full because that's what He wants. He wants you to live life to the fullest, but since He's the author of life, we can only live it through, with, and in His grace to the power of His Spirit. Many walked out during the sermon, prompting Father Sheehy to bid them farewell mid-message. Those of you who happen to be leaving today, God help you is all I have to say. Sheehy has since been removed from the town's mass roster, but is standing by his remarks and even accusing Brown, the other priest, of muzzling the truth in order to appease the people. Quote, I know myself that what I said cannot be disproven by any honest-to-God Catholic Christian or Catholic teaching, and that's the bottom line. Where are we now that the Roman Catholic priests are preaching stronger than many of the so-called evangelical Bible preachers. I don't know how many Bible teachers would stand up and preach a sermon and name the names like this guy named some names. That's impressive. And the Sodomites helped usher in the destruction of Israel and mark it down, the Sodomites are ushering in the downfall of America. That's just a fact. And real quick and finally, we'll end on this thought to end on something a little positive. 1 Kings 15. I'm going to end with this guy. It's very brief, and I'll put a bow on it right here. 1 Kings 15 is Asa. Asa, the first good king of Judah after the kingdom splits. And I want you to notice that Asa, King Asa, he starts out good, like a lot of us. You can read verses 9 to 15. I'm not going to look at all of it. I want to zero in on verse number 12. Verse number 12 of 1 Kings 15, it says, And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also Makkah, his mother, even her he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove and Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Kidron. I want you to notice what he did that was good. Asa got some things out and he was no respecter of persons. Even his mother got reproved by him. And verse number 15, And he brought in the things which his father had dedicated, and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and golden vessels. Asa got some things out, and Asa brought some things in. That's how you make things right with God. You get some things out, and you put some good things in. That's what you do. That's how you make things right. But go to verse number 23. Verse number 23. The rest of all the acts of Asa, and all his might, And all that he did, and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Nevertheless, in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. All King Asa finished started good, like most of us. But he finished bad, like too many of us. He gets a disease in his feet. You know what you need your feet for? Your walk. His walk began to suffer to the point where he couldn't even stand. Can you just finish with me in 2 Chronicles uh, 16? 2 Chronicles 16, last verse, I promise. 2 Chronicles 16. 2 Chronicles 16. If anybody else is watching. 2 Chronicles 16. The thought police are probably coming after me. 2 Chronicles 16. They lock people up in Canada for that. They lock people up in, in England for that. Right? 2 Chronicles 16. Even so, come Lord Jesus. 2 Chronicles 16. Here's, this, here's what happened to old Asa. Asa had made a deal with Syria to help him out. And God said, why didn't you trust me? You trusted me with the Ethiopians and the Lubins, and I hooked you up over there. I helped you out. And now you're going to lean on the world? 
And in 2 Chronicles 16, 7, it says, And at that time Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the Lord thy God, has not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. He forgot about God. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house. For he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. And behold, the acts of Asa, first and last, lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa, in this thirty and ninth year of his reign, was diseased in his feet, until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. Instead of turning back to God, Asa went to the world. And we're all going to stumble. We're all going to trip up. We're all going to make mistakes. But you know what the test of man's character is? The test of a man's character is, what do you do when you make the mistake? Do you continue in the path that puts you in such a mess? Or do you turn around and come back to church, come back to the Bible, come back to fellowship, come back to prayer, come back to preaching? Or do you keep going in the dumb direction that got you into trouble in the first place? Asa was an idiot. He did foolishly because he kept going in the direction. The preacher came. God sent the preacher to reprove him. And instead of repenting like David, his father, would have done, he got angry, he got mad, he got stubborn. And King Asa died like a lot of God's people, stubborn and standing on the wrong foundation. And I hope that's never you. I hope you never get such a disease in your feet that you keep seeking the world and not the God who can help you stand again. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.